Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. Today we are venturing back to the early 90s when comedy was the new rock and roll and we are going to be watching Sean's show. I'm Gareth and with me today is Alan. Hello. Hello. So Alan, you are probably not old enough to remember this first time around. What's <laughs> your what's your memory of well of Sean Hughes? So I was born in 84, so obviously my Sean Hughes is never mind the Buzzcocks Sean mm-hmm. Hughes, which he did from 96 to oh, to early 2000s. I can't remember when he actually left. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction to Sean Hughes. Knew he was a stand-up, but I'd never seen much of his stand-up. And then at some point, and I can't remember when this was, but it must have been sort of about 10 years ago. Yeah. Going through stuff on 4OD, I find Sean's show, and they've got the first series of that just up on 4OD. And I watched it then. I, I wouldn't say it blew me away exactly, but it was just like, oh, this is not... A- I don't, I don't know. I wasn't expecting anything like this. Interesting. Different. Meta. Yeah. When that was, uh, yes, yes, that was yes. a new thing. So that was the last time I watched it up until going into this. And I had, I have to say I had good memories of it uh, mm-hmm. going into re-watching it. But you, of course, Gareth, uh, a bit older, you were the right age for this when it first came yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I was born in 1975, which actually makes me 10 years younger than Sean Hughes. So Sean Hughes was a stand-up comedian and he won the Perrier Award at Edinburgh in 1990. So that was when I was yeah. 15. And, and, you know, back then, comedy as an industry wasn't quite as big as it is now. But, you know, if you won the Perrier Award, you were well known. You would you would be appearing on television. And I guess you would have the opportunity to make a sitcom if you wanted, which is pretty much, if you look at the timings, I guess that's what happened here. This would have been commissioned off the back of that. But that time in comedy, as I say, it wasn't quite an industry as it is now. But it was very much comedy as the new rock and roll. That was the thing that you always heard. Mm. And you had people like Leon Herring and the Mary Whitehouse Experience, Newman and Baddiel, who were, um, they were sort of, they were cool. <laughs> you know, they were, yeah. they were, um, you know, they were into the latest bands and they were sort of into football. And, you know, they were just cool and interesting rather than just an old geezer telling jokes with a fag in his hand. It was sort of, yeah, a few years after that initial alternative comedy, which was, you know, if you think about, Rick Mayle, Adrian Edmondson, all that kind of generation. It was sort of the next generation that came along in their wake. And Sean Hughes was a real uh, torchbearer of that generation. Your comedy, your classic comedy is gags. Stand up there, you do your gags, right? Mm. And then alternative comedy come along and kind of break that up. But they're obviously working right on the other side of the spectrum to kind of be the complete opposite, you know? So Mm. it's very performative, very character-based often. And then it kind of... Like you say, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, we start falling, in, or at least the, the popular stuff is, starts falling into this middle ground of, you, you go up and stand up and tell gags and it's kind of very from a personal place, hmm. but it's a bit more anecdotal. Uh, it's relating to uh, a different demographic of an audience. Like, yeah, you, I mean, Newman and Baddiel were huge in the early 90s. I mean, hmm. they played Wembley Stadium. I think they were the first ones to that, do that's, a proper stadium. That's right, yeah. They were the tour. first comedians to play a stadium, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which of course now is is Derek Gurr, but th- but throughout the nineties, stand up it wasn't on TV that much, and and I don't mm. think there was a an obvious market for it. I think TV thought well, we can't just have someone standing up and just sort of talking that that doesn't work. And so I think at this era there was an element of look, hey, these guys are funny. Let's try and do something with them. And one of the things they're trying is sitcoms. We had a bit of we had a lot of panel shows coming through. Mm. You know, well, never mind the buscots. They think it's all over uh, and that sort of stuff uh, as a, as a way to just get comedy on the TV. And then in in the very late nineties and early two thousands, it had a real 
a real resurgence where it's like, oh, we can just put it on TV. You have live at the Apollo and stuff yes. like that. And, oh, just, yeah. You just get a comedian on, do 15 minutes, get another one on, do 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's all right. That's enough. Yeah, I think I think that there was a there was also an era of, I was going to say DVDs, but even before that, videos. So a comedian would release a video, you know, for the Christmas market of yeah. their stand-up show, their Edinburgh show that year. And that was, a, you know, I remember as a, as a teenager, that was a regular Christmas present for me. It would be a, you know, a couple of stand-up videos. Yeah. But I think one of the one of the problems that the TV industry has or had was that they didn't quite figure that out. And, you know, they had sitcom. Sitcom was the tool that they used to get comedy onto the television. And so you had these funny people. So let's sort of force them into that vehicle. And yeah. I guess, I mean, you're perhaps going to tell me about the genesis of Sean's show. But, you know, they've taken the concept of a sitcom and they've sort of exploded a little bit and done some, tried to do something a bit different with it. Mm. And, and that's what we've ended up with. But it is an odd sitcom. It is still a sitcom. The, Sean's show, it seems to be that middle ground of like, well, we can't just have them do stand-up on telly. Well, let's do a sitcom. You're not really an actor, though. And what mm. are we going to do a sitcom about? With It's not just a... Sitcoms weren't even that big in the early 90s. You know, it wasn't yeah. exactly the peak years of sitcom. And so they've gone with this middle ground of meta sitcom where your primary character can just stand up and talk to the audience as if they're a stand-up comedian. Yeah, every episode there's a there's a stand up slot where he, he, he you know he's talking to the audience constantly. He's breaking the fourth wall all the time. But then at, yeah. at several occasions he, he literally stands up. The lights go down and he's in a spotlight and he's talking to the camera. Yeah. You know he's delivering a, a stand up routine. If we speak a bit more about Sean Hughes, we'll sort of see where that came from because basically when I was when I was looking into his career and, and life and that sort of thing, he's someone who's always been very honest and open about him about his life and kind of happy to find comedy in quite tragic <laughs> circumstances yeah. you know so Sean Hughes obviously is Irish he's actually born in London okay um his parents were in London living in London at the time and so he was born there and then they moved back to near Dublin when he was 6 right and so he entered the Irish school system with a cockney accent yeah okay i didn't know that basically that it was certainly as he tells it, that is what has fueled his comedy ever since. <laughs> this this sense of just being hated by everyone around you, <laughs> and the the Sean Hughes persona, like on stage, which you know it seems to be very much who he is mm. uh, in real life, is a loner and and an outsider. We see this all the time in comedians. They tend to be people who are mm. a little bit on the fringes of society in one way or another. Uh, with with Sean Hughes, he often talks about depression and yeah, you know, a, a terrible relationship with his father. He's he's talked about that all the time. We'll mm. see some of that in our episode even, and that has fueled a lot of it. When when he actually had a bit of a comeback uh, to to stand up after having several years away, mm. it was fueled by his father had died, and it was basically him working through the emotional processes of that. Right. Um, you know, this person who'd been a very large factor in his life, but had never really liked him. <laughs> uh, so dealing with all that kind of thing. Well, what about the, you know, the sort of, well, the darker side of it? You know, he was a big drinker, wasn't he? And I guess, you know, yeah. that that's indirectly led to his death, didn't it? Well, he died of cirrhosis. So, yeah, I think well, that's pretty probably at, fif- okay. at, at age 51. Yeah. So I think it's probably fair to say. From what I've read, he quit drinking everything and went teetotal in 2012. Mm. Now, as far as I can tell, it, that stuck. Uh, there was no obvious information about him going back to the bottle or anything like that. But obviously, the damage had been done by that. It was about five years later that he died. In 20- well, there was a, there was. A, I remember 
because obviously as, a, as an old fan of Sean Hughes, I remember when he died being quite sad about that. And, and amongst all the obituaries, there was an article in The Guardian which was very badly received, which was a bit of a character assassination. Basically saying he was a bit of a git and he was hard to like, he was hard to be friends with, hard to love. And, you know, there were sort of people from his past being interviewed there. Yeah, so again, pretty distasteful timing. But it, nevertheless, yeah. when I, I just read that article again this week, and to me, it, sound, it, it was the description of an addict. You know, it was the description mm. of someone yeah. who is sick and self-centered and just unable to break that cycle, be it drinking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sean Hughes definitely self-describes as, like I say, a loner. Mm. And he, like, he doesn't really like to be around people that much. Mm. So I think he knows he's a bit of a misanthrope and, and perhaps subconsciously or not, he's pushing people away. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't get too deep into a psychological analysis. No, I think it's probably guy, but... it's a difficult thing to psychoanalyze someone through a few articles. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I've written down here, bit of a git question mark. I think it's probably mm. a little bit more complicated than that. But yeah, he yeah. seems like he seems like the sort of person it was very difficult to to really get to know. It comes across in the work, definitely. And, and his work is always very personal. Mm. And it did remind me of, uh, for example, Rob Newman, who yeah. talks about suicide in his stand-up all the time, or you know, did when he was back back then when he was young. And I think there is definitely a certain type here. It's this kind of, uh, you know, pale-skinned, <laughs> dark-haired, like floppy-haired, sure. <laughs> sort of proto-emo. You know, it's like the, what what they have emos now, but yeah, and and young and and quite sexy. You know, in a kind of slightly mm-hmm. offbeat poet kind of way. Uh, and Stuart Lee, I think, falls into that category. Dylan Moran, kind of like, they probably smoke French cigarettes and read poetry all the time. You yeah, know? <laughs> cool. And and but when I say cool, you know, that's a, that's a weighted term that could be positive or negative. There's another thing that's common to those comedians and uh, perhaps some of the musicians of that time as well. They sort of made you work quite hard to know the references. You know, they would be they would be alluding to. Well, in Sean Hughes' case, he might be alluding to, to poets or, or, or bands that you might not have heard of. And you sort of had to go and do a little bit of homework to keep up, <laughs> which when you're 15 and making your way in the world and trying to decide who you're going to be, that, that, that's kind of, that's engaging, you know? It, it really makes you yeah. think, oh yeah, I want to be, be cool like this. I'm going to listen to the bands that he's talking about. I want to go and read that book that he mentioned, you know? Well, that, that's it. I think this this also very much, and and I'm I'm going to defer to you here because I think you'll know more about this. But there was a period, like I said, in that early '90s of what I'm going to call student culture, mm. where it was, or at least TV suddenly realised that there was this audience of you know students who would come home late at night and want to watch some comedy, or would be hung over on a Sunday morning and yeah. want to watch some light entertainment. And it started catering to that. I mean, Lee and Herring is the obvious example because they literally did a Sunday morning show. And yeah, yeah was... they did a Sunday morning show, which Richard Herring to this day says, I have no idea how we got away with that stuff. People just weren't paying attention. I wanted to ask you about this. Like, did that end? I can tell you exactly when that ended. Britpop smashed it. Britpop smashed it all out the water. Britpop oh, okay. was the return of the guitar lads, the stomping right. bullies. And, you know, all those quiet poet poet weird kids had to just get out the way okay because it is a very much like you know we're too clever for the room kind of attitude <laughs> and yeah sean's show falls into that it's like we're not just going to make a sitcom that like that's what john cleese would do right yeah <laughs> to make a sitcom we're gonna we're gonna break down the sitcom <laughs> well i i think the the student uh, the student market has changed significantly but is that is that down to you know 
now everybody goes to uni. I know, not literally, but, you know, there, there's such a large people mm. uh, influx of people going to uni these days compared to 30 years ago, where it was a, still a bit more of a middle-class, well-educated generation yeah. type thing. I mean, it's certainly fair to say that, that student culture is not the same as it was 30 years ago, but I'm not sure when that changed. I mean, when, you know, when grants ended and when fees came in and all that sort of thing. I guess the Labour government of 97, they had an objective to get more people to go to university. So yeah. during during the late 90s, early 2000s, that's when that shift would have started to happen. I think calling it student culture, is, it's not inaccurate, but I think it's not really a complete description. It's more an intellectualism, more this idea of, you know, you don't have to be a football lad. You can, you know, yeah. you can read poetry and you can listen to sweet music and, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed about it. Well, I think alternative comedy came from... You know, obviously lots of different places, but the big names of that era were the Oxbridge types Mm. still, Mm. but they were the ones who were going to break things apart. And then you got the likes of, you know, Ben Elton, Rick Mayall, who are going to, not that market, but they're still educated in their own way. And I I think that that made it cool. You know, it's cool to be smart and have these intellectual references. And then you got someone like Frank Skinner comes along, does does everything. You know, mm-hmm. he is very smart and well read, but he's a football lad and he's a legend. I think Frank Skinner. Well, is, you know. I use this word advisedly. I think Frank Skinner is exceptional. As in, I think yeah. he's a he's a brilliant. You know, he's natural, funny bone is incredible. But I also think he's exceptional in the sense that he doesn't really fit into any of those boxes, and consequently mm-hmm. was and is able to just slot neatly into any box really. And he. You know, yeah. he can go on a panel show or he can host a radio show or he can do a stand-up. He can be a lad. You know, he, he's done all of those things. Mm. Let's get back to um, Sean Hughes. And just to put him in context of all those other comedians we've been talking about, Sean Hughes is not particularly well-educated or anything like that. Um, he's obviously smart. He's obviously got an intellectual mind and he, want, he's learn, he, he wants to learn things. But I don't think those references are there. Basically, what I came away from watching Sean Hughes, not just this show, but some of his material, it's actually not very clever. Mm. And I mean that not in just in a sense of ooh, intellectual references, but also what we're actually doing here. And we'll get into the show. Sean's show is that supposed to be, or it, it feels like it's supposed to be deconstructing the sitcom. Yeah. But it's it's not. It's deconstructed it, but then it's not saying anything with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just breaking it up into parts and then going, oh, here's a part. Yes. Uh, here's a part as well. Well, let's 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 transition here from talking about Sean Hughes to talking about Sean's show. So as I say, I was a big fan and when you suggested we watch this, firstly I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't think you would have heard of it or remember it. Um, <laughs> and secondly I was you know, I was excited. I was excited to go back and watch it. I remember being a fan of Sean Hughes. I remember this show coming out and it being really great and different and interesting. So, started watching it again and by the time I'd watched the second episode of the first series, I was sick of it. Now, you know, I'm tipping my hand with, you know, spectacular glee here, but I I really, not only was it not as good as I remember, I hated it. I really did not like it. And and I think that that idea of deconstruction, that idea of of poking fun at the concept of a sitcom, I don't know if it just felt old fashioned now or just the the joke was over for me really quickly. Well, I, I, I think the problem is that it's not really poking fun at classic sitcom or breaking it down or analyzing or parodying it Mm. or satiring it it's not doing anything it's just doing a kind of crap sitcom 
uh, but talking to the audience <laughs> every now and then, it's it's yeah. it's not really. It's not clever, is it? Anything. We've just talked about intellectualism, and there's nothing yeah. clever about the the setup here. It's just and there's no follow blunt. through on it at all. I think episode one is probably the best for it. Obviously, that was the basic concept. That was probably the spec script that they put in and went, okay, yeah, let's do a series. Well, the opening and then they lines, didn't have anywhere to go with it. The opening lines of the first episode was, he, you know, he answers the phone and he said, yeah, 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 I've got some people around. Yeah, about 450 of them. And the camera pans around and shows you the studio audience. And that, like, that, yeah. that's, that sums it up nicely. We're breaking the fourth wall. We're saying this is a sitcom. We're self-aware. But it doesn't really get any funnier than that. that that's, that's basically the same joke over and over again. Yes, exactly. Let's jump into our actual episode that we want to look at, because I think we're going to see enough examples of what I want to talk about that we can kind of branch off from there. Okay. Series 1 is available on For On Demand, so you can go and watch that now. I'm not really sure why, but Series 2 isn't. However, all the episodes of Series 2 at the moment, as we record this, are available to watch on YouTube. So you can go and watch these if you want to have a dip and and try them out. Yeah, and similarly, Series 1 is available on DVD. Mm. Um, but series two is not. There's obviously I don't and I don't know. I I didn't find any information about why this is. But obviously series one and two have different rights situations. Yeah, obviously. Mm. <laughs> because if Channel Four owned it all, they'd just shove it up on Four OD. Why not? Yeah, of course. So they obviously can't do it for series two. But it's on YouTube on Sean Hughes' channel, which appears to be a somewhat official channel in in some sense. Mm. I think he owns it. I think, or the Sean Hughes estate now might actually own series two. Right. Don't know what's going on with that. Don't know how that's happened. How much time passed between the two series? Uh, about 18 months. So the first series was April to May 92. And the second series was November and December 93. Mm. But all made under the same circumstances on Channel 4s, then cast, producers, director, everything. I, I honestly don't know what the situation there okay, is. Okay, well, so. that, we could speculate, but um, yeah, interesting. So, so which episode are we going to look at then, Alan? Tell, tell us more about it. Okay, I want to look at Series 1, Episode 4, which mm-hmm. is called Greek Holiday. And it's just be- it just seemed like a solid example of the show uh, as it was. And uh, I'll talk a little bit later about Series 2. I think it changed slightly, but we'll, we'll get into that. But let's, let's just start with Series 1, Episode 4. Mm-hmm. This one actually starts, instead of going straight into the credits, with an opening card. Uh, as as a uh, you know a continuity announcer that speaks between the shows go oh oh up next it's Sean's show it's it's that kind of thing although it's fake yeah. it's actually part of the show and I think this sets up the episode perfectly because what happens is the the fake continuity announcer says due to certain unforeseen production problems some of the script used for tonight's show has been incorrectly typed rendering parts of the program incomprehensible that's a hell of a setup to to do something for the episode and it goes nowhere <laughs> and i've made notes i've made notes of all the times where that joke is actually referenced yeah and i'll tell you what they are but not only is it not used much when it does happen they go oh hang on that must be a typo oh sorry about that yeah and that's the joke that's yeah. it that's as far as it goes so I'll, I'll tell you exactly the the instances there are about four minutes in sean goes oh fool yourself together Mm-hmm. and it should be pull yourself together Brilliant. and he kind of checks the script and he like literally checks the script there he like on you know it's yeah. breaking the fourth wall but then that's the joke uh, so i thought okay that's just there to remind you about that and then about 11 minutes in tony is there with some cornflakes and and he says the script's supposed to say enter with confidence not with cornflakes <laughs> that's quite a good joke is it because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, just like confidence to cornflakes is really like yeah, but that's why I like it. Difference. Full, full to pull. That's that, yeah, okay. And then they've yeah, escalated yeah. the joke. Okay, let's see that. But that that's still not. And then he immediately goes, "Oh, you know, I was going to get you a cuddly grey donkey from my holiday. Well, I've accidentally got three curious Greek dancers." 
<laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't doesn't even begin to work. And it's still not a joke because nothing happens apart from the, these the three dancers knocking around. And then uh, about 19 minutes in, Tony again is walking around with a lamp and Sean says, oh no, you, it said, it's supposed to say you come in with a limp, not yeah. a lamp. Same joke. And, and that's it. And I am waiting all the way through for this to be like a crucial plot mm-hmm. aspect yeah. where some 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 basic misunderstanding early on is going to be solved by the go, oh, it was actually supposed to be this. Yeah, but it's not. It's just an excuse to make the same joke four times. And a, and a weak joke at that. Not even an inventive take on that joke. But, but to me, that is that, that's the problem with the whole thing. Having watched, I didn't even watch all of them. I watched about seven episodes and it's just the same joke over and over again. It's not, you know, there's nothing... <laughs> There's nothing inventive done with it, exactly that. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there. Uh, that being my first example, <laughs> that that running gag. And that's only in this episode, it just goes nowhere. But then, okay, so let's move into the actual title sequence. Mm-hmm. Now, you watched a few episodes. Did you notice that the actual ti- the credit sequence was different every time? I didn't notice it was... No, i tell you what I did notice. Uh, that's interesting, because I noticed it was different on the second series, and I thought they'd changed it, but I hadn't, re- I hadn't connected that it was different every single time. Go on, tell me more about that. Well, the first series is seven episodes, and there's seven different opening credits, but it's, it's Sean in a bath, yeah. singing his own theme tune, going, Sean, it's Sean, 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 but each one is different you know the amount of people in the background are different the things that are on the bath are slightly different there's a couple of visual gags that are different and it's different every time and then in series two they just repeated those seven again in the same order. So oh, they didn't really? So they didn't go and refilm yeah. them, reshoot them? No, no, it just did the same ones. And again, it's not relevant in any way. Like, I, as the series goes along, there's fewer and fewer people in the background. I think yeah. that's the only kind of thing that is going on there, which kind of ties in with the show. People die off and things, but... maybe. It, it, again, it just doesn't mean anything. Like, Why would you go to the trouble of doing that and then not have it actually say anything? It just, I imagine um, a script meeting where they're thinking about this and talking about it and they just think, oh, that'll be wacky. That'll be great. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this will be different. This will be, this'll, this'll break down the norms of sitcom. Yeah. And again, it's just like, it's not enough, is it? <laughs> I feel like we're just going to be repeating that sort of phrase over and over. <laughs> so, yeah. But yes, and then the show actually, uh, the show itself begins, and we have Colin McFarlane as the announcer who goes, Welcome to Sean's Show! Now, would you please welcome Sean's Neighbour! Well, Colin McFarlane, we we saw last series in the Thin Blue Line, the episode of a Thin Blue Line that we oh, watched. Oh, that's um, right. He was the guy who wasn't a refugee, but we th- he wasn't a refugee. Rowan Atkins thought he was because he looked foreign, yeah. very racist. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Colin McFarlane, yeah, mostly does voice stuff. Uh, like he's got a great voice, and so he's got this great announcer voice. But again, it's not something that they do much with. There's an there's occasional bit where like Sean will actually speak back to him or something like that. Yeah. But it, I think he's only in three episodes of the first series, so it's not like they even use him. It's not like he announces the show every time. Is it opens the show? It's again, it's just a sort of half idea that's not really played with. Mm. And uh, we actually open with Tony, Sean's best mate, played by Victor Maguire. Victor Maguire, who is a favourite of ours. We saw him in Bread, didn't we? 
Well, I think that's why we've ended up doing Sean's show. Because when we were talking about bread, mm. I was looking at Victor Maguire. I was like, oh, yeah, he was in Sean's show. Uh, so that's Remember Sean's show? We should it. do that. Yes. <laughs> I think that might be why we've ended up here. It's all Victor <laughs> Maguire's fault. So, yeah, we have talked about Victor Maguire before. So I won't go into much detail about his career. Um, we talked about him when we covered bread. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was between Bread and Goodnight Sweetheart for him, basically. This is right, what he okay. did between. But it's interesting because Bread obviously was a big mainstream sitcom. You know, when we talked about Bread, we said it was more like a soap opera, really. More like a drama than a, than a comedy. But it yeah. was a big mainstream thing. And mm-hmm. if we're saying that Sean Hughes was part of that comedy as the new rock and roll countercultural type thing, how does Victor Maguire end up in this? Yeah, because this is very much a playing second fiddle to Sean Hughes' role. It's, mm. This is not an ensemble piece. It's the Sean Hughes show. Yeah. And there's some people kind of help populate the world. Uh, and, and I mean, he's not even in every episode or anything like that. Mm. So it does seem like a bit of a step down, doesn't it? Because Victor Maguire was yeah. a pretty big name. I mean, he's very good. I like Victor Maguire. But, you know, without repeating what we said on Brad, I think he's a great actor. And, you know, I think he's one. Of, he was one of the best brothers in, in Brad, which is pretty yeah, low bar, yeah. I guess. Yeah, but yeah. I think what he does here is great. You know, it, it, I've got no complaints about him. Well, ah, I, you have got complaints. About I him. think <laughs> I, I like Victor Maguire as well. There's not much for him to do. There's not much for him to do. I think that's the problem. And, and this episode that we're looking at specifically, I think, is probably the most he does mm-hmm. in any given episode mm-hmm. because he basically Sean says, "Oh, stand in for me." So he starts pretending to be Sean. Hi, I'm Sean, and this is my flat. <laughs> I'm so depressed and alone. At least I've got Beckett and Morrissey. It's a, it's a pretty workable impression, actually. I was quite impressed. It was good how he got his characteristics. Well, good. I think this is a problem, Gareth, because I think it's quite a good, accurate impression, not a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a problem. Like, it is just like a good actor taking on someone else's mannerisms. Yeah. It, maybe it just needed to be silly and, and funny. And also, I was thinking, I watched them all quite in short order, obviously. And you watched the first few as well. Mm. But this show is very much built on repeated gags and Mm -hmm. mannerisms. And so when we see Victor Maguire as Tony doing Sean, it doesn't make any sense if we don't know who Sean is. Yes. Did the studio audience who was sat there watching this being recorded, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have seen the series because it was recorded before it went out. They wouldn't have recorded loads of episodes at once. I don't think the audience has any idea what's going on here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. And I think if you haven't watched the episodes before and you just get in after a couple of drinks with your friends half past ten on a Wednesday evening and you go, oh, Sean Hughes, what's this? This is going to mean nothing to you if you haven't seen the previous episodes. Yeah, yeah. So I think the whole thing just falls a little bit flat. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really register the audience reaction to it. What I've written down here is, this is good because Tony is doing all the things Sean does every single episode. So at least it's the same thing, but with a different accent. <laughs> so yeah there's all these repeated gags like oh that sock's not dry um oh look morrissey i love morrissey (laughs) stuff like that you know uh and it works but like i say it's not it just all falls a bit flat see i think uh, let's have a little tangent about morrissey and the smiths go on then the smiths were you know the smiths they were a uh, well, I'm going to use the word again, a cool band. You know, they were never massive um, in terms of record sales, but they were very much in that demographic. They were a band between 1982 and 1987. And then after that, Morrissey went into a solo career and he sort of, you know, gradually turned into this sort of racist old man, this figure of fun, to the point where he is, you know, to use the current lingo, he's been cancelled really now. But I think 
by 92, that process had already started. I think Morrissey was already a little bit silly and old-fashioned. I don't think people up and down the country yeah. were saying, oh, Sean Hughes is cool, he's into Morrissey. As we were talking about before, like comedy is the new rock and roll, I mean, it's a direct line from Morrissey. What I was talking about, floppy-haired, mm. pale-skinned youths who read poetry, uh, that's yeah. Morrissey. And Sean Hughes just wants to be Morrissey. Like, yes. he's growing up in Ireland, and Morrissey is just this kind of, like, he's so cool and sexy, I wish mm. I was like that. I'm a bit of an outsider, and people think I'm weird, but I read poetry as well. Maybe people will mm. like me one day. <laughs> And that's what it all falls into that same category. And I don't think Sean Hughes has ever let go of that. And I think fair play to him. He's he's sticking with it. I agree. I think that is a genuine, I think it's genuine. I think Sean Hughes did love Morrissey in 1992. Whether he did later, I don't know. But I I think it was already a little bit, a little bit old fashioned to to be into Morrissey or perhaps a little bit uncool. But I think Sean Hughes was happy with that. This is, this is not an affectation. Oh, he's knowingly doing that. Yes, Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and like just doing like the swirling the flowers around your head and stuff like that. It's 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 all silliness, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's just it is just a, a a silly thing to do. Everyone knows that Morrissey is a little bit of a pompous. I guess is the word, mm. isn't it? That's, yes. that's the right word. But yeah, certainly uh, it doesn't he doesn't hold back on the Morrissey love and. Uh... Yeah, so sorry. That was a. I wanted to take us off on a little Morrissey based tangent there. But um, so we were talking about all the sort of recurring gags that happen every episode. Apart from just repeated gags. Just the the sense of humor, the style is is very samey, and I've I've been watching quite a bit of Sean Hughes stand up material as well, mm. like particularly earlier stuff, and you get a lot, a hell of a lot of what I would refer to as twenty eight years old I was style humor, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we get that straight away here when Sean actually comes up on this episode because he's on, he's on holiday in Greece yeah. and he's talking about how he's fallen in love with someone and then he goes oh I'm gonna have to tell my parents oh hey oh there look there they are <laughs> oh, I wish I didn't have to go on holiday with my parents every yeah. year <laughs> and I think Sean Hughes gets away with quite a lot in his material by being impish smile I'm a bit of a cheeky scamp aren't I kind of <laughs> vibe right now. I think you've hit the nail on the head here because I I totally agree with you with a massive caveat that I don't think that works anymore. I think that's how he built his career. But now when you watch it 30 years on looking back at it, you're just like, this ain't good enough, mate. This ain't funny enough. That that was my, that was how I watched it and I reacted to it. Yeah. I was reading about Sean Hughes's Perrier award winning act. Mm. And obviously I haven't seen it, but... What articles of the time and things were saying was that it was a slightly new approach to comedy because he wasn't just telling jokes. He weaved a little bit of a narrative into it. Like the the the, yeah. the basic premise of the show that was he was in his bed sit and he's talking to the audience. Sure. So there's an obvious connection there between that and, and this, this sitcom. And I have seen uh, his early work. Like it, So I've seen the first, you know, Sean Hughes live on DVD or yeah. video as it was then. Like I've seen that. That's the earliest kind of available stuff I can see. And it is very scattershot. It's it's very mm. just like, here's a little kind of a- anecdotal thing. Oh, and here's another gag. Oh, here's yeah. a quick gag about something else. And then on to something else. It's actually not very well connected. It's quite disparate, yeah. I think. To say that was what was praised about his stand-up material uh, or that particular show and why he won the Perry Award. And, and, and you know, I think what I, uh, something I read, which was an obituary type thing, you know, it was sort of quite, being quite praising of him, but saying how that really changed the nature of comedy. And that's what stand-ups did from back from then on. They mm. kind of cr- tried to create an hour-long thing that's going to develop and, and have a narrative yeah. and a character arc. And, and so if he's had that kind of influence, why is it not played out in his career? <laughs> and why is he doing a narrative sitcom, which then doesn't really have anything tying it all together either? 
Yeah, well, I think I think what what you just described there is a fair criticism of of Sean's show. Mm. It, it is just chunks of stand up and throwaway gags, and the narrative, if we can even use that word, is is so thin. What's this episode about? You know. He's been on holiday to Greece. He brings back some Greek dancers. I wrote down here. It's just a matter of time before they start breaking plates. And like 20 seconds later, they did. There's a, he's been blackmailed. He's been blackmailed by a shark. There's the mafia are involved. I don't know. I, honestly, I, I kind of, I, I can't remember. I watched this three days ago and I can't remember what the plot is. Because there isn't one. The plot's incidental, really. It is. It, there's sort of about four different plots smashing into each other at one point. Oh, and I've written down Samuel Beckett on the phone. I don't yeah. know. Can't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about it. So as we set up, Sean is on holiday in Greece. And obviously, because we're breaking the fourth wall here, we, we see that it's, you know, there's just he's just four feet away in a, in a studio that's just got a yellow light on it. And the three Greek dancers are there to, to illustrate, look, it is Greece. <laughs> Yeah, and three, let me just do this with my fingers, Greek dancers. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, I don't know how, how specific they were about the nationalities that were represented mm. in this show. We'll get to that later. But I wanted to ask you, right, you know the whole Greek people smashing plates? Yeah. Is that invented entirely for sitcoms? Because it's the only thing I've ever seen it in. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've never been to Greece, so I've never actually witnessed the plates being broken in the in the wild. <laughs> I've only ever seen it on 70s sitcoms, really. <laughs> Feels like something Vince Powell probably invented for, for yeah. manager language. Yeah. <laughs> just, it just well got be. caught up. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they do smash plates. There's, there's no real gag to that other than they just smash the plates. It's not like, yeah, they don't do anything with that. Just while we're on the subject of Greece, Sean, Sean he got a laugh from saying the word hummus in a funny way. Now, yeah. my question is, in 1992 was hummus, was that like a novelty <laughs> item still? Yeah, I think. I mean, it would have been in our house. We didn't. We didn't have like. We didn't get spaghetti until the two thousands. No, I didn't see hummus till I was seventeen. Yeah, but I don't know if that was, you know, if it was still a novelty item. <laughs> well, I mean, it must. It must have been because he does that joke three times. So. <laughs> of course. <he> does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a little bit here where we see him on a plane. Uh, flying back for 20 seconds just to kind of help the narrative along that he's flown home from Greece, I guess. But they put this in to do a, a, a gag about the pilot, which doesn't play here, really. And you, you're looking at me like you've no idea what I'm talking about. No, no. As you as you were describing it, then I was like, oh, I must have zoned out for a sec. So, yeah, there's a gag on the plane where he's on the plane and the pilot's voice comes over the tannoy in, in a, what is clearly a, supposed to be a child's voice. And now a quick word from our pilot. I'd like to thank Jimmy Savile for fixing it for me today to fly the plane. <laughs> the joke being like, oh my God, the pilot's a child yeah. on, on Jim will fix it. The problem with that, now I got that because I've seen some of Sean Hughes' early stand-up material and it's taken directly from that. Right. But in his stand-up material, he, he'll say like, but I'm not frightened of flying because recently I was travelling and, uh, and the air hostess was getting us relaxed, you know, giving us massages and stuff like travel first class. <laughs> and, uh, and then she says, uh, well, the pilot would like to come out and have a quick word with you now. And the pilot came out and said, uh, I'd like to thank Jimmy Savile for fixing it for me today to fly the... Pl <laughs> There's a setup to the gag. Setup, so not just a punchline. It's just the punchline, and it's the we're gonna really just registering that he's on a plane because there's someone sat right next to him, because <laughs> like, it's not obviously I'm built a plane set and all this. See what that smacks of is a good bit of stand up that works well. Let's get that in. Let's get that in the script. Do you know? It wouldn't surprise me if if that was the starting point and that's why he was in Greece. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because his his plate smashing material was uh, never worked on yeah. stage. <laughs> now, Sean, at this point, he mentions Mr. and Mrs. Pebbles. Yes. Let's just talk about them as because they're not actually in this episode, but they are supporting characters in the mm-hmm. series. They're they're just like the doddering old couple who live nearby, and he occasionally chats to them. It's just some again some side characters that help build the world a little bit. Yeah. But weirdly, you know, in this episode, Mister Pebbles is killed like off screen for no like good reason. But that is kind of an ongoing thing throughout the last few episodes here, where all the sort of surrounding characters die off. Yes. The first episode of the second series of a big joke where they all come back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're obviously building up to that. But weirdly, Mrs. Pebbles, who does come back in the second series, ends up being one of the principal characters of the second series. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll have to talk about that a bit more when we, we'll, we'll kind of move on to like the second series and the differences. But they end up doing quite a lot with her. Yeah. Mr. Pebbles dies here. We never see him again. That's that's that done. So uh, 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 the the actors who played Mr. and Mrs. Pebbles, I didn't recognise their names. Are they were they just extras, and she was pretty good, or are they proper actors? Like, what's the story? No, no, no. Old old school actors. Yeah. So Mr. Mm. Pebbles was played by John Barrard. Barrard. You know, both of them really just spent their entire careers in on stage and screen over many, okay. many decades, and just little roles. John Barrard has been in loads and loads of sitcoms, but just oh, okay. as one scene role sure never had like a regular thing he actually when i was looking at his cv uh i think his early sitcom appearances in 1958 in the larkins wow i mean you can't you can't go much further further than that really uh, and Mrs. Pebbles was played by Eileen Way. And uh, I mean, she was sort of in her 80s at this point. She died actually about six months after the second series went out. Okay. And uh, like I think the, the first comedy thing on her uh, resume is uh, an episode of Hancock's Half Hour back in right. 1960. And again, just, you know, done a lot of less comedy actually on her CV, but a lot of straight work, but okay. very much just actors who had been knocking around for decades. Yeah. But I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm going to ask this question, but I know the answer to it. I wonder if at the start of Sean's show, they had a, an arc planned for these two characters. <laughs> I doubt it. So so I wonder why they killed him off, kept her on, fluffed her yeah. over. You know, I wonder what the logic of that was. It, does, it doesn't even feel like they have a plan at the start of the episode, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know how much planning is going on here. Let's push back into the uh, into the episode then. So okay. we get a phone message from Samuel Beckett. Yeah. Again, it's a bit of a recurring gag throughout this first series that Sam Samuel Beckett calls Sean up and talks to him. And and, yeah. and again in the first episode, the conceit is that Beckett's the scriptwriter. Yeah. And and Sean is Sean is rebelling against the script. He doesn't want to do a sitcom script where Windsor Davis comes in and he has to have jelly in the bath. That's right. He's trying to make a, a proper show, not a stupid sitcom. And and so he wants a Beckettian ending and all this sort of thing. But yeah. does it go anywhere? Well, Windsor Davis turns up with some jelly in the bath. <laughs> like I say, I think the first episode is the one where they actually kind of made it all work. And they were like, okay, here's an idea and here's the ending. Yeah, And then they were like, oh, well, we need six more episodes. <laughs> now, oh, well. <laughs> well, we've established Beckett can phone yeah. you from the dead. So let's do that. Doesn't add anything. Doesn't really do anything. No. And in the second series, it transfers from Beckett to God. God yes. starts ringing him up on the phone. So does that mean anything? We also get another plot element, which is in every episode of that first series, and again, doesn't really go anywhere, is the Susan-Angela love triangle. Uh, now, here's the thing. So, the, yeah, there's this whole there's this whole thing about how he's 
you know, he's dumped one girl and she won't leave him alone. There's another one that he's in love with. And I'm going to be honest with you, Alan. I I, I sort of lost track of which was which because I wasn't interested. <laughs> it was just like, oh, sh- stop talking about girls. Yeah. And to be clear, we never see either of them. No, we don't really no, get exactly. any backstory real characters. of either of them. But the, the concept is he's in love with Susan, but she's not interested. And Angela is obsessed with him and he doesn't want to do anything with her. And he didn't lead her on. That's right. Uh, but but I, I mean, I've given it there. That's, That's as it. far as it goes. That's There's it. No development of that storyline beyond what you've just said. Uh, it never, it never comes to anything. And even in this episode, it's Angela who's blackmailing him. You know, Sean Hughes material. You know, it lo- it uses romance, uh, relationships, and sort of that sort of thing quite a lot. He was someone like we said already. is a bit of a perpetual loner. Mm. Never held down a long-term relationship, never had kids, anything like that. And and was seemed very happy with that. You know, he seemed happy to be alone for the most part. And I, I think ultimately that's why I, I, mean, I don't hate this as much as you do. <laughs> because I think I still identify with Sean Hughes on certain levels. And that's definitely one of them for me. <laughs> but in the same way that I, I like... Rob Newman and and Stuart Lee and this sort of thing. Like I want to be a floppy haired poet of the early nineties, <laughs> right? That's what really what I want to do in my life, and and that kind of idea of you know being alone and like oh my god I, I am in love, but you know I, ultimately I know it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Is your girlfriend going to listen to this uh, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's why I, I, I do I do still manage to get something out of this. And I, I managed to get something out of Sean Hughes' persona in general, his comedy persona. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'd been born 10 or 15 years earlier, I probably would be an alcoholic poet by now. <laughs> <laughs> Failed poet, obviously. I mean. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's all we have time for this week, but do come back next time for part two of our Look at Sean show. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear more of our reviews of sitcoms, then do go back into our archive. We've got all sorts of different things from many different eras. Go and have a look. And of course, you can get in touch with us on the social medias, Twitter and Instagram, at BritcomPod. Do come and join the conversation there. And you can visit our YouTube, British Sitcom History, where we have video versions of the podcast and extra content as well. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.